Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you. How are you doing today? I'm all right. I've had a very, very exciting weekend. I, ma- I made pasta. Lovely. Mm. For the what first time. Make? Yeah, for the first time in my life, oh, I, I made the pasta. Not You made everything from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. Because you look at it, wow. you go, it's kind of, well, you know, it's cheap. Pasta's cheap. It's not expensive. Seems like a lot of hassle to make your own, but it was worth it in the end because it was delicious. So what type of pasta did you make? Long, thin, scriggly bits. Yeah. It's classic yeah. Italian pasta, that long, thin, scriggly pasta. Lovely. I think Beautiful. probably something that looks remotely like, a bit like linguine, I would say. Oh, okay. Hmm. That sounds, and, and was it nice? It was nice. The sauce, you know, obviously had a, a big part to play in that, but uh, that took about three hours to make as well, the sauce. So, I, you know, I just spent all day cooking. That was wow. the highlight of my weekend. How was, how was your weekend? It was all right. I was on a stag do in Norwich, um, an exotic location. And yes. uh, on Saturday night, I ended up in a a kind of, well, a nightclub is the only... The only term I can think of to apply to it, but it really was a portal to another dimension. In I have to give a shout. Go on. Actually, in I have sense? to give a shout out to Chris James, uh, who follows me on Instagram and I think is a fan of the show, because I said that I was in a nightclub in in Norwich and he spotted it as the waterfront, and he said, "I'm so sorry for you, but also so so jealous." And I think that sort of sums it up. It was kind of glorious in its awfulness. Right. Um, so shout out to the waterfront in Norwich. He said, I hope they still sell cans of Red Stripe for a quid. I'm not sure if they quite do, but it's not far off that. Wow. A, a, a yeah. pound for a drink in a nightclub is pretty good. I know. Yeah. I know. I think in, in rural Britain it is still possible, you know, if you once you get out of the big, big cities. <laughs> rural Britain. I love it. I love the idea mm. of that. Yeah. Well. So that was my weekend, but okay. I'm fully recovered. Um... I'm ready for a football match, which feels really strange. I think, as far as I'm concerned, it does feel like the season ended quite a long time ago. Yeah. And now suddenly it all starts again. Yeah, there's a game. Um, It is a bit weird, isn't it? Because it's not as if there hasn't been a lot of talk about the Europa League final, but not much of it has been focused on the football 
or the football mm. match. There's been all the other stuff that's been going on around it in terms of travel, in terms of Mkhitaryan, in terms of all, all those things. But now we're faced with the harsh reality of, of an actual game of football coming up uh, in a little over 48 hours. Um, how, how are you feeling about it? Because for me, it's been sort of distant and on the long finger, even though it has been something that you know we're writing about on the site, we're talking about on the podcast all the time. But it's been sort of over there it's a bit like you know when you sort of get asked to do something and you go yeah okay i'll do that it's ages away that'll never happen and then sure. eventually it creeps up on you and you go ah what did i do that for why did i say I go to that thing but it's kind of indefinitely on the horizon and yeah. then suddenly the horizon arrives uh yeah I, I know exactly what you mean and i think in this next couple of days, because we've been discussing everything around the game without actually discussing the game, I've sort of not felt quite as nervous about it as I ordinarily would about a cup final. I dreamt about the game last night. Uh, oh, which... I've seen a few people say that. Um, yeah. How did how did your dream go? Uh, weirdly, it finished nil nil, and that was it. There was no extra time or penalties. It was just a draw. Uh, and, no, and so nobody got the Champions League qualification place. Uh, and in the dream, Aubameyang missed a penalty and a really good one-on-one. Oh. Uh, and then I was left in this quandary afterwards of, you know, do you criticise him for that? Or, you know, he's been such a fantastic <laughs> goal scorer all season. I'm already thinking about, you know, the stick I'm going to get for having an opinion after the game. Mm. Maybe that's my real anxiety. But yeah, so that would suggest my subconscious is now firmly trained on the matching question. Yes, it's hard to avoid it. It really is. I haven't had any dreams yet, but uh, you know, we'll They'll see come. what happens. We'll Don't see, worry. We'll see what happens. So the team flew out to Baku. The squad flew yeah. out to Baku at the weekend. Um, I think the it's not really a big issue, but I suppose the the one thing that is striking is the fact that Danny Welbeck is in the squad and therefore you assume will be fit to play a part, some small part, whatever it might be, from the bench. Uh, mm-hmm. We can name 12 substitutes, of course, so there was uh, room in the squad. 24-man squad went out with young players like uh, Bukayo Saka, uh, Xavier Michi, um, uh, Joe, Joe Willock. Willock. Uh, Dejan Ilyev is the, the young goalkeeper in there as well. So nothing too unexpected, but good to see Welbeck on the on the plane because without Mkhitaryan, we do lack an experienced attacking option. And he provides that, even if it's only going to be for 20 minutes, maybe a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, there is a little bit of a concern about uh, you know how much sort of ring rust might be there and how ready he is to play in a game of this magnitude but he's come back before with quite dramatic mm. impacts so and has hit the ground running I think pretty much every time he's come back from a long-term injury so I, I think that's quite encouraging and in the absence of Mkhitaryan having an experienced attacking player to come on is really important and you know one gets the sense that he might have had an eye on this game all throughout his rehab and mm. thought that might be something I could shoot for and you know with the fact that he is definitely leaving Arsenal and we had that absolutely for the final time confirmed by Raul and Vinay in their interview with the official website this would be a wonderful way to say goodbye if he could come on and make an impact yeah it would be amazing wouldn't it if he could do what he did against Leicester now you know I I would I would love that if it happened I'm not sure how much I'd love the whole circumstances up to that though you know um, yeah. A game being that tight, I'm I'm sort of hoping for three or five first half goals for Arsenal, so we can relax 
in the second half. Um, I'm not it sure. Feels it's like that he'd probably only get on. <laughs> yeah, it feels like he'd probably only get on if things were quite desperate because we, we'll have Lacazette and Aubameyang on the mm. pitch from the start. Uh, and you know, uh, unless they're tiring late in the game and they want to give someone a run out, but it feels like Welbeck is someone you'd need to sort of break glass in case of emergency, or um, or you bring him on because the game is won and you want to give him a few yeah, minutes. You know, though, or of course the other the other um, eventuality is, I suppose, and we'll touch wood here. Of course, is an injury to somebody who yeah. who which might require uh, his um, introduction. Uh, into the game, but he does provide a little bit more uh, attacking reassurance and and gives us a little bit of of quality and experience that I think we might well need um, in this game. From the Chelsea end, there's been a little bit of team news. I don't know if you saw, but it looks as if, and again, I'm going to touch wood, but it looks as if Ngolo Kante might not make it now. Uh, that's good. Story. I mean, that's good. That for would us. be great. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like. You know, we know we know Kante is a really good player, and I, I feel like he's some in some way sort of the antidote to our midfield. You know, Kante against mm. Shaka feels like physically such a mismatch. I know Torreira's maybe got a little bit more of that intensity to his game, but I, I do feel that sometimes where we feel fall a bit short in central midfield, that that intensity, that pressing, that sprinting. So if they don't have him, I would like that very much. Yes. I would too, and I'm not, you know, wishing injury on on anybody except for every single Chelsea player between now and Wednesday. Especially Eden Hazard, yeah. Especially but- <laughs> Eden Hazard, but you know, uh, yeah. Look, any any little advantage we can get is good. I'm I'm cautious though because I remember games in the past where we've gone into fixtures against teams and they've had makeshift. Um, starting 11s and you look at it on paper and you think yes we should be able to do this and we aren't Uh, uh, the game that springs to mind immediately for me is going back to the Welbeck goal against Leicester and I think our next game or maybe the game after was against Manchester United away and Rashford. They, yeah, mm. they started Rashford up front and he had this was maybe his first Premier League start and I think they had a a, a back four of some bloke, a chair, Fosu Mensa and uh, I don't know what, maybe Phil Jones or something like that. And you're looking at it going, yes, this is a defence that we can really get at. And of course, we make Rashford a star uh, as we do. So I'm always a bit cautious in terms of um, what, what the opposition are missing because I do feel like maybe it lulls us into a bit of a, a sense of security in a way. Um, yeah, I mean, you're looking at a Chelsea midfield trio of, of Barkley, uh, Jorginho and Kovacic. Mm. Uh, you know, still some decent players in there, but that feels like we might be able to to dominate in that area of the pitch. I don't know. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but look, Kante being out, uh, assuming it does go that way, would be really helpful. I yes. Think, um, a lot of focus, of course, will be on, on our team and what we do and what sort of a, a team selection Unai Emery puts out. Mm. So we have a question. We're going to go through the questions throughout the podcast here rather than just in part two because there are going to be talking points that are addressed in the questions. And, of course, lots of people have asked this one. Uh, Mark Holmes at Holmster79 who says... What would your starting 11 be for the final? Now, this is what your starting 11 would be and not necessarily what, what you think Unai Emery will do. 
Is it? Would you do anything different from what you think Unai Emery is going to do? I mean, what, I'm in two, two minds. I'm in two minds. So I think given the way we got to this final, it is tempting to kind of stick with the back three, mm-hmm. um, which kind of picks itself, really. I'm assuming it's going to be Petr Cech in goal. And then... There's a talking point again. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then a back three of Monreal, Koscielny, Socrates, uh, wing-backs of Maitland-Niles and Kolasnach. Um then uh, in front of that, Shaka and Torreira, and then Meza Erzul behind Aubameyang and Lacazette. Yeah. The only the only sort of thought I keep having is, I do wonder if there's a slight chance he goes to a back four. Yes. Um, maybe with Monreal at left back, say, mm. and Maitland Niles at right back, and then a, a diamond. So he would, I suppose, have sort of Shaka Torreira and Ginduzi and then Ozil behind the front two. I, it's mm. a possibility. I feel like we used a system like that in the league against them. Um, yeah. We won that game at the Emirates Stadium. So I was sort of caught between two stools a little bit with that. What, what about you? What do you think? Um, I, I think he'll go with the back three, but I will be tempted by by the back four as well. Socrates and, and Koscielny in a back four. I think probably with Monreal as well at left back. Um, yeah. It's just because we have a, a load of questions here as well from people. Uh, Tony Kent, uh, for example, at 2-0 down, who says, in, Rab's, in Ramsey's absence and uh, consisting how well it worked in the league, who do you see doing the Jorginho tracking job in the final? I can't see Emery trusting Ozil with it. Big game for Iwobi, maybe. Now, that's, you know, uh, assuming that... Emery is going to do in this game what he did in the last game. Maybe he's got a different plan. Maybe, but it, there would seem to be a logic to it, wouldn't there? I mean, mm. everything for Chelsea do kind of goes through Jorginho. And if you if you close him down and give him problems and take him out of the game, we have seen he can struggle under that pressure. I mean, the, the thing is that Meza Ozil, I think, does have the athletic tools to be able to do that job. It's just not his natural... Uh, mentality is it to spend nine minutes no buzzing around a defensive midfielder? Look, I think look, he can run. There's no question about it. But he can't tackle, and I don't think he's particularly defensively. Uh, you know, his defensive positioning is not great. Whereas Ramsey, who's used to playing more or has played a, a lot of his career deeper in the midfield, is more positionally aware. I think. Whereas Ozil, he thrives when he's got freedom. If he's shackled one way or the other, whether that is by being asked to do that kind of a job, which I think would be completely mental, by the way, uh, and I don't think that's what will happen, or if he's marked out of the game or if he's paid special attention, I think he finds it much more difficult to have an impact on a game. So whatever about the opposition putting people on Ozil, if we ask Ozil to do a job that is not his, we immediately completely and utterly negate anything uh, positive that we might get from him. So I, I can't see how that would work. Yeah, I mean, that's where the diamond does slightly appeal to me because when we play that way, Torreira often sort of plays as the right-hand side but mm. gets into quite advanced positions and he is someone who really can close the space and put a lot of pressure on you know a player who wants time on the ball. And so shifting him a little bit higher up the field you know, could really disrupt Chelsea. Um so, so I, that's why I do sort of keep coming back to that. I mean, do yeah. you think... Go on. 
Do you think Ozil will start this game? Because I have seen a bit of debate, like you, about Ozil kind of versus Iwobi in that number 10 role. More for Iwobi's defensive qualities than anything else. So do you think there's any chance that, that Emery sees it like that too? Um, it really depends on how much of a threat he views Jorginho to the way that mm. Chelsea want to play or, or to us, you know. Um, if he really wants to put somebody, if he's going to play a back three and he wants to put somebody on Jorginho, then Mesut Ozil is not that guy. He's just not that guy. Whereas Iwobi, I think, is more capable of doing that than, than Ozil. So it's, you know, potentially it's possible. But I guess it depends on what what way Emery is viewing the Chelsea threat or how he how he views the best way to create opportunities against Chelsea because he might think the wing-backs are the best way to do it, you yeah. know? And, and that way then he goes to the tried and trusted, get the ball to Kolasinac so he can bang it in the box and same with Maitland-Niles on the right-hand side and he can, he can deliver into the box. Um, yeah, I mean, I wonder as well if there might be a bit of a double bluff in terms of trying to outdo Sarri's preparations mm. because I suspect Sarri will expect us to play with a back three. So I wonder in order to put a bit of a spanner in his works, if he might, if he might just go with the, the back four, you know, it's difficult because you then, if you have to correct that and you want to go to a back three, it strikes me that probably it's wiser to start with a back three and if you really need to change it, you can remove one of the defensive players and put somebody more attacking on. Whereas if you're starting with a back four and it doesn't work, you then try and revert to a back three to get your wing backs into the game, which seems yeah. like a slightly negative attacking uh, change, if if that makes sense. Because you can see what he's trying to do, but immediately you're adding an extra defender to things. So. Yeah, I guess the way I mean the way I would do it if I was going to go that way is you have Kalasinac on the bench and he would come on, so you just tuck Monreal in. Yeah, uh, which you know I, I know what you mean, but it's not a hugely uh, negative change just because Kalasinac probably is going better going forward than backwards. But mm. it, it is um, it is hard to say, and I think yeah I mean I think the wing backs are integral because it's like to what extent do you trust them in a four like do you think Maitland-Niles against Eden Hazard in a back four potentially is a, a risk um, I mean yes it is a risk but it's a risk we're sort of going to have to take almost irrespective uh, so it's a, it's really difficult I think my inclination would probably be to go to something like the diamond and I know mm. that would, might be seem like a maverick choice but I just think it gives you options in the midfield. You know, you could play Gendouzi, Shaka. If you really want, you can always play Torreira as the apex of that diamond and slip a Wobi into one of the wide areas. Uh, there's lots of different variations. Or you can play Ozil, but just know you've got that combative midfield trio behind him. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I think Monreal and Maitland-Niles probably will still give you enough going forward from fullback. And obviously the game is going to be focused so much around the front too. I think Ozil will play. Yeah. I think he... 
I think he will play. I, I think um, he will too, but I think, you know, the more you talk about it, I think the more it makes sense to play with a back four if you're going to start Mesut Ozil in this game because there is a danger that if you are playing a back three and just two in midfield that we... There are too many gaps, if you like, between the midfield and the attacking end of the pitch. And we've seen that mm. a bit a bit uh, too often this season where, you know, if we do get down the sides and if we are attacking well and we're getting balls in from wide areas, then it is effective. But through the middle and in the sort of the creative hub of the pitch, we're not that effective. And I don't know that Ozil plays that well in this system, does he? I mean, he's the obvious guy to sit behind the two strikers, but if the system means that the ball is not coming to him, if it's going left to Kolasinac or right to Maitland-Niles, then he becomes a little bit um, isolated in some ways and mm. um, ineffective. Whereas if you do play with a back four and you've got three behind him in midfield, which uh, A, gives a little bit more supply to him, but also a little bit more of a defensive platform, then I, I, think, that makes, I think that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, well, it will be fascinating because Emery, you know, we know he likes to sometimes sort of second-guess the opposition manager and he's had so much time to build up for this game. You know, he, he might sort of third or fourth guess them. He might have been through several plans already in his mind and mm. it will be really fascinating to see what he actually goes for in Baku. They're already there, aren't they? They're training in Baku now. Mm, yeah, they are. Um, they and are. I suppose some people will be listening to this on their way to Baku uh, some fans so safe travels to you guys safe travels to you guys you are the heroes safe I saw the, long travels <laughs> official UEFA statement saying that uh, or from the stadium maybe it was saying that we have almost sold our 6,000 allocation now Chelsea more like 2,000 so are the Arsenal voices should be louder than the Chelsea voices at the very least yeah, in the stadium? I hope so. Actually, there was the a... corporate voices will be very loud though, chanting the names of Gazprom or whoever it is. That will ring around the stadium. Who are the sponsors? Uh, come on, come on, you FedEx-sponsored uh, professional athletes! Yeah, exactly. Kia Motors yeah. is behind you all the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, FedEx, Kia. Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Oh, yeah. Um, That's how you get to Baku and back. You just... Yeah, you know, exactly. They, they should have offered a deal. They should have. And Hankook Tire and Technology. Tire and Technology. Hmm. Mm. Okay. Not tire technology, tire and technology. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, we have a question here from Henry Powell at AFC. Henry P, is there a dangerous possibility that most of the crowd could be supporting Chelsea in the final due to the Mickey saga? I mean, maybe, but I don't think it makes any difference. I don't think it'll make any difference, really, do you? No. I mean, it, I suppose it'll feel a bit like a World Cup game, you know, where there's a lot of neutrals in the stands and they sort of just cheer everything kind of irrespective and go with the flow. I mean, ultimately, the locals who are there presumably will be delighted to see two big Premier League teams turn up and play on their doorstep. Um, but, you know, it, I don't know. It'll be up to the people at Kia and the people at FedEx to really decide which way the crowd is. I, mm. I trust those 6,000 Arsenal fans to make themselves heard. You know, they do it up and down the country. Mm. Uh, and the ones who have made the trip to Baku will be very, very devoted fans. And I think I think we will hear Arsenal songs in that stadium. However, however dimly we will hear them. Yeah, I think so. I think so. OK, we've got to move on to the... Uh, as we're talking about the team to the Czech thing. And I, I talked about yeah. this with uh, Charles Watts on the podcast on Friday. Um, 
my my position hasn't really changed. Um, I've not listened to that one yet. What did you say Friday? Well, basically that I think Petr Cech is a great guy and a real professional, and I have no doubts whatsoever over his focus for this game. You know, this story about him going back to Chelsea as a sporting director has put ants in people's pants, um, which you can understand to an extent. Um, uh, but as much as I respect him and think it would be an amazing fairy tale thing for him to go out with a, a European trophy win against his former club and maybe the club he's going back to, I would start Bernd Leno in goal, even though it would feel, as I think I said on Friday, a bit like kicking a puppy. Uh, you know, it is a big, big game, possibly the most important game in this club's recent history. There's the chance to win a Europa League or a European trophy. There is, of course, the entry into the Champions League and all the associated uh, financial implications of that. Um, I think you play your best team as much as you possibly can, and I think Leno is our best goalkeeper. Therefore, I would play him in this game. And it's a hard decision and a difficult decision um, on, a, on a human level, but that's what I would do. It feels a little bit different to the instances we had in the past with uh, Fabianski and Ospina, because of the fact that it's Czech's final game. You know, in those instances, you could be like, well, they're leaving the club. Half the time they were on their way out the door and there was a sense of, yeah. we owe nothing to them. They're going, you know, on a free transfer or whatever it might be. Let's not, you know, put them before players who are going to be at the club long term. I think the fact that it's his last match adds like a, an extra layer of sentiment to the situation. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. But... It, but it is kind of just sentiment, you know. And but can you can you ignore sentiment? I mean, no. I mean, I'm I, 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 I'm not saying I could do it. I'm not saying I could say, Petter. I know I said you'd play the Europa League games this season, um, but you're out. Sorry. I, I would find that an incredibly difficult thing to do. Yeah, I think any any normal human being would find that a very difficult thing to do. Um, you know, and, and you, look... What can, do you think of the idea that... Go on. Uh, what I was going to say is, what do you think of the idea that dropping check would somehow cost Emery within the squad? Like, it might, you know, provoke some dissent or some unhappiness. Do you think there's anything in that? I, I think there might be, because, uh, you know, it's been clear to everybody that Petr Cech has had his eye on this game for a really long time. You know, as his swan song in a, a long and storied professional career, he's spoken about it numerous times. He's spoken about the possibility that it could it could be against Chelsea. Uh, you know, he's spoken about it in the last couple of weeks. Um, he is clearly hugely invested in making the final game of his career a successful one. And you can understand that. I think Czech is one of the the most respected players in our dressing room. They all speak highly of him as a, as a player and a person. So if it were a case that Czech was ditched on the eve of the final or the 11th hour, I think it's certainly possible that the players, as much as they might understand the decision and they go out and they'll do the job, they'll you know play as well as possible, might be 
I mean, why wouldn't they be? It's a teammate who is obviously going to be distraught at that decision if it happens. He'd be yeah. he'd be devastated. There's no two ways about it. He would be devastated. I mean, I mean, the the other thing, the other side of this coin, is that can you imagine anyone being more motivated than Czech heading into this game? No. And yeah. Uh, you know, and to, to what extent will the players also want this for him? If he is held in this esteem within the dressing room, you know, they will want him to go out on a high and he will be absolutely determined to go out on a high. And I think, you know, that 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 might make Emery's mind up. If he is caught in two minds, at least he can say, well, I know this guy's going to give it absolutely everything. And I, I don't have any inclination that the fact that he will be joining... Chelsea as a suit next season affects remotely what he does on the pitch. I don't think he'll care. You know, I don't think if he's there next season, he'll be like, well, thank goodness Mm. I lost the Europa League final and they've got that trophy. I don't think that will mean anything to him. I think his playing career is entirely separate. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And I think we also overlook perhaps the fact that Czech has played well in the Europa League and particularly in the knockout rounds, two clean sheets against Napoli. I remember a couple of really good saves against Napoli as well. You mm. know, he, he he did his part against uh, Valencia as well. So, you know, I don't think it's as big an issue uh, in terms of quality um, th- that some of these decisions have been in the past. It's just a really weird thing, isn't it? That in, in every cup final we've played in the last number of years, we've had this discussion about which of our goalkeepers should play and somehow the cup goalkeeper always gets the nod. And so far, so good. And may, may, may it continue that way, because I think that's, that's exactly what's going to happen. Well, well, I think, is it not sort of almost a policy that we, we sort of have to stick to in the same way that, you know, if you give a young player games, it convinces young players to come and join you. If you're a, a, a big club and you need to have a decent second-choice goalkeeper... Is it not something you have to enact to be like, look, you will get some opportunities here and you can have some glory and it enables you to, you know, maybe recruit a, a second choice goalkeeper that you might not otherwise be able to get. Mm. Um, I mean, as we've said before, if it is Emmy Martinez who who steps up next season, it, I, I somehow doubt he'll be sort of protected and his position, you know, kept solid and his as quite as much as Czech's has been. Mm. Um it, you can talk yourself into circles on this one. I do think to a certain extent it's moot because I feel like the decision has been made for a long time that, and that it will be check. Um, but you never know. You never know. It's We don't know Emery like we know knew Arsene. We knew what Arsene would do in this scenario. Yeah. Um, but maybe Emery's going to spring a surprise. Yeah. I would be surprised. You know, he's talked uh, about what an amazing guy Czech is and, and everything else. And, uh, you know, I, I I think maybe we talk ourselves into uh, an anxiousness among yeah. ourselves as fans that isn't maybe there within the squad or certainly in Emery's mind. You know, do you think he really thinks it's that cut and dry? I'm not sure he does. And I don't think any of the Arsenal players going out there will be going, ooh, I wish we had Bernd Leno. I don't really think that's Has the Czech case. Has really done anything this season to deserve that in in his performances? I mean, I think maybe his sort of uh, lack of sure-footedness on the ball yeah. is the only thing that really springs to mind, uh, which is an important attribute, don't get me wrong. But I think in terms of his the other aspects of his game, I think he's actually been really consistent. 
Yeah, I think he's... Very I, good. Yeah, I think so. You know, he's made good saves. Uh, the, the, the thing you'd say is that Leno is, uh, is a better distributor of the ball. Yeah. Short and long. Um, uh, Czech tends to go long a bit a bit too often for a team that doesn't really have an outlet for that. You know, when we have no, Olivier Giroud, for example, you at least can fire balls towards a big six-foot-three striker who mm-hmm. can flick them on or can take it down. We don't really have anyone in this team who is capable of doing that. Now, you know, the Especially the if you don't play Iwobi, yeah. I guess, who's well, uh, yeah. the one player who does sometimes do that. I mean, and that tells you a lot about, you know, yeah. uh, the... the, the the squad makeup that if Alex Uwobi is seen as the guy who who is our our outball our target man in a way mm. you know that that says a lot about the squad which isn't to criticize Uwobi but more everything else then again you think about the first goal against Valencia after they'd scored it was a long ball downfield from Czech Lacazette flicked it on Aubameyang scored True. it you know so it's not to say that just uh, there's only one way of playing but um, yeah look. I think you're right. We're talking ourselves in circles. I think Czech is going to play, um, and I hope he has a a brilliant final game in his career because, uh, yeah. Mm. (laughs) It would be be, be, uh, a really fantastic way to go out, and I hope nothing befalls him like what happened to the Charlton goalkeeper Wembley. Did you see that? Oh, my goodness, yeah. Well, he got away with it in the end, didn't he? Um, Yeah. Right at the death. These playoff finals are amazing. They yeah. say, year after year, they throw up incredible games and late drama and, and everything else. And uh, yeah, mentally, should be another good one in the yeah. championship. Villa play derby today. Did you see uh, anything of Christian Bielik in that game? Just I quickly, did watch him. He got man of the match. Um, mm. So yeah, look, he, he's done well. He's done well. But I, you know, again, I, I feel like with Bielik, there's this. Look, he's done really well for Charlton. He could come in and do a great job for us, which ignores the fact that. He's done a great job for Charlton in League two One, down. two divisions mm. down. You know, um, people talking about him being a replacement for Xhaka in midfield, and I was, you know, I, I've looked at him and I've watched him a bit, and he's he's a good footballer, Bielik. But if you think Xhaka is slow on the turn, um, <laughs> you know, Bielik yeah. is, is not necessarily he's doing a job in there in central midfield for Charlton. Whereas you know they, they've said all along, and their their assistant manager said the other week that you know he's the centre half, that's his job. You know, and he played in both positions yeah. in the final, I think. So you know, look, congratulations to him. He's had a fantastic season. He goes off to the European Under Twenty One Championships. Um, here's a question from Ali Karim, who's at Ali underscore Bob, and he says, based on sentiment alone, how would you prefer to win the Europa League? A Leicester-style Dan- Danny Welbeck winner in the final minute, or uh, an heroic Petr Cech penalty save with Arsenal one nil up with a minute remaining. Uh, I don't think anything beats a winning goal. I have to say, a, le- a late winning goal is glorious when it comes. And uh, I've always had a soft spot for Danny Welbeck. I think you know he seems like a really good guy. And that Leicester moment, it's a real shame that it's not mm. sort of treasured like it should be. So I would go for. I think on balance, I'd go for the Welbeck. Just the joy of of snatching it at the last second, I think, would be too much for me to resist. What about you? Yeah, I think uh, a goal is always better than a save for me. Um, I mean, that the... 
the Lehman Raquel May one is one that springs to mind, you know, as a yeah. late penalty save that was of massive value. That's true. That's true. And that was a good moment as well. But I wouldn't fancy Petr Cech against Eden Hazard. No. Uh, with, with, with all due respect to uh, our goalkeeper. Uh, I mean, Hazard if Chelsea is... get a penalty on Wednesday night, it's a goal. I'm telling you now. Because <laughs> Hazard doesn't really miss and Cech doesn't really save. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so don't give away any penalties, boys. And we will have VAR in play. It will be our first taste of Socrates versus VAR. So that's going to be an interesting oh, thing to there is play a, out. There is an additional layer of yeah. something to, to, to this final, isn't it? Um, anything yeah. else that you can think of from a team point of view or from a tactical point of view that we need to discuss? Because... Um, mm, I mean, I, I just from the squad point of view, I thought it was interesting to see... Which youngsters got a call up? You know, looking ahead to next season, I, I found it, you know, to see Saka in there, to see Amici in there. I know it's literally making up the numbers, but uh, is encouraging because Saka sort of, after a little spell in the team, in and around the first team, had slightly fallen away from contention, but I think looks like a really exciting prospect. Mm. In terms of the team that plays, I'm not sure. Let me have a think. I mean, it's a massive game for someone like Maitland Niles. It's funny, isn't it? We because of what's happened with Hector Bellerin and because of the fact he's been pretty consistent really since coming in, pretty good in some instances, we sort of accept him now as a first-team player, but we forget that at the start of this season he really was not anything like a regular uh, and yet now he's going to be starting a European final, you know, academy product. I forget how old he is, 19, 20. Who? Maitland-Niles? Yeah. He's older than that. He's older than you think. I think oh. he's older than you think. Is he 21 now? Let's have a look. Yeah, he's 21. He's going to be 22 in August. So oh, he's, he's quite a lot older uh, than I think, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, think about it. He went out on loan to Ipswich a good good few years ago. Yeah, um, you're right. So, you know, he, he's at an age where, I, you know, he's had two seasons of establishing himself as a, as a first-team squad member. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, look, it's a big night for all these players because of, uh, you know, there's history to be made. When you think about it, yeah. there is uh, there is history to be made because we do not have uh, a great European um, final history. You know, we don't have that many European trophies in our cabinet. So there's a chance for whoever plays and in the, in this squad um, to make themselves. I won't say legendary, but you know, if we beat Chelsea on Wednesday night. Um, these guys go down in the annals in the history books of Arsenal Football Club as a as a team that won a European trophy for the first time in 25 years. So, yeah. yeah. I think all, uh, our sort of fixation with Champions League qualification, well, in my case, certainly does sort of sometimes lead me to overlook the fact that there is a European trophy up for grabs here. Yeah. Uh, and that that would be quite an incredible thing. For us to have. Also, I, I, Arsenal put out a tweet yesterday saying our journey so far, and they showed all our goals from the Europa League, and it's been quite a campaign to get to this point. I think because it's sort of a second-class competition. When we've arrived in the final, we sort of greet it with a little bit with a shrug and a sense of like, well, you know, this is the least we could expect. And I think because we've we we fluffed the league so much. This feels like a, a consolation, but I think... Oh, I don't know if it feels like a consolation to me, really. It feels like um, a chance at redemption. Right. More than, more than consolation, because, you know, we could finish 
fourth and get into the Champions League, and that's great. But a trophy is better. Winning a final is better. Putting another notch on our our whatever European belt, you know, yeah. that's that's better. And I think there's been a weird thing about this game because the season finished what two weeks ago, three weeks ago, two and a half, two and, and a half weeks ago. The game rolls around, I think. Yeah, the gap between the end of the season and this game is too long. I think mm. the game itself has been overshadowed by the logistical issues, the political issues, Mkhitaryan, all that stuff has not necessarily cast a shadow over it, but it has to some extent dampened the the fact that we are in a European final and it's fucking great to be in a European final. It's, what, 13 years since Paris. Um, before that, it was 2000, uh, the UEFA Cup. Before that, 1995. And then, you know, the year before that, of course, we, we won the Cup Winners' Cup. So, you know, for a club that that demands success, or certainly fans demand success and demand improvement and development and, and all those things, it has been a little bit weird that the game and the importance of the game has been put to one side slightly mm. by, by all these other issues. And I think sitting here now talking to you, it's coming into sharp focus just how big this is. And people can say it's just the Europa League and blah, blah, blah. So You know, we don't really have any chance of winning the Champions League or didn't look like a team that could win the no. Champions League all the years that we were in it. You know, I exactly. think we got and we might not for some time. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we want to be back in the Champions League. And I understand that. And I want us to be back in there, too. But, you know, the weird thing is that we're going to, if we get in there, it's going to be via the European competition that probably best suits our level. So yeah. I, I think we have to just sort of step back a little bit, understand the importance of the game, but also look at it as a real opportunity for this football club to do something that it hasn't done for a really long time. And I guarantee you that at whatever time the final whistle blows on Wednesday night, if we have won that trophy, the celebrations will be huge. And rightly so, because this is, it's a massive, massive game for this football club. Yeah. And I want us to get back in the Champions League as much as anyone. And then I want us to go out of it and back into the Europa League that we might actually win. <laughs> that to me seems like the perfect formula. We could just do know? that. Yeah, we could just do that cycle. We go out in the group stage, yeah. back into the Europa League, win the Europa League, back into the Champions League, get that bit of money, invest in the squad. Get then the we money get knocked and the prestige. Out again, get knocked get out, out again. and actually have a chance of winning something. It's a perfect foolproof formula. Especially uh, with Unai Emery as the boss. What could Well, I think that's basically what Sevilla did for, for years. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's... Um, <laughs> a real prospect but uh, yeah look it's a massive game and what I meant to say about watching all these goals back and watching all these games we've played I think it's such a slog to get to the final that you don't sort of celebrate it as you go you know you get out of the group stage where you expect that you beat you know whoever it is Ludogorets you expect that um, that was last season but you know what I mean but Bate uh, but when you look back we have scored some great goals and we have beaten in Valencia and Napoli a couple of really decent teams I mean Valencia won the cup final against Barcelona the other day uh, and yeah. so I think we also have to celebrate it as an achievement to get to this point it's been a decent run and it 
should and could have a really fantastic yeah. ending on Wednesday night. Yeah, it's 15 games we've played to get to the final. This will be the 16th yeah. game. So, look. It's coming on for half a league season. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's a lot of games. It is a lot of football. Um, so, look. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about it other than it, it's really it's really starting to hit home <laughs> uh, that we have a football match now. And, and, and maybe... Those other distractions have allowed us not to think about, you know. Mm. I mean, the, you, you can think about winning, of course, um, but you also have to think about what happens if we don't. That's why the the distractions are kind of welcome in a way because you, it means you don't have to consider the possibility of 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 things going uh, poorly on on Wednesday night. But hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed that that won't be the case. Uh, I think we should take a break. Um, We'll take a break and, and do some more questions and stuff in the in the second part. Will we do that? Yes, let's do that. All let's right. have half time. Half time indeed. Back after this. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you sent to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog, and on the Arsblog Patreon member Discord server, which you can get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. You can sign up for just a fiver a month at patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. James, uh, I'll let you go first today. I'm feeling kind and generous and full of pasta. Oh, lovely. Thank you very much. Uh, well, this is from Peter Hust uh, on Twitter, at Peter Hust. And Peter says, good morning, gents. Goodly morning, in fact. It's especially goodly after we celebrated Anfield 89 mm. yesterday. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 30, of that. It's 30, 30 years. years. How did you see, by the way? I mean, did you manage to see over all the people standing in front of you on the terraces in Anfield? <laughs> <laughs> I was being held aloft like Simba. Uh, in the Lion King. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, honestly, no memory of it at all. But you know, it's it's my cultural heritage. You know, I was kind of sure. Uh, it's it's kind of come to me later in life, but I still absolutely seize upon the opportunity to to laugh at Liverpool. Um, anyhow, Peter's question is: Who do you expect, apart from Petr Cech, 
will be playing their last game for the Arsenal in Baku on Wednesday. Mm. Well, some of them probably won't play. Sure, so, so we're Danny talking about, if he gets on. We're talking about see. the squad members who who may not be here next season. Yeah. Welbeck, obviously. Of course. Licksteiner. Yes, you would think so. Jenkinson. Mm-hmm. Good old corporal. Um, never rule it out. You never know with Jenkinson. Imagine Carl Jenkinson scored the winner in the Europa League final. That would be absolutely incredible. I think he would just... He just... Retire? He could retire, but I think he might just explode in a kind of orgasm of Arsenal achievement. We'd witness the first footballer ever to just disappear on the pitch in a cloud of his own jizz. Spontaneously combust. <laughs> Jenkins uh, spunk everywhere. It would be a beautiful sight. Well, a beautiful, I, yeah. beautiful sight. Well, the goal would be the rest. I'm Sorry, uh, yeah, the goal. Uh, the, <laughs> the explosion of cheers, I'm less sure about. Um, I think possibly El Nenny. Mm-hmm. And Mustafi. Although I'm a little less convinced about Mustafi leaving than I was. What did you make of Mustafi's comments? We had a couple of questions about those. Did you see them in the week mm. about about the criticism and how he's not really focused? I on choose in the build-up to a European final yes, and this gigantically important game for Arsenal Football Club, uh, for the club itself, for the players, for the fans, for everybody associated with the football club to, um, what's how do I do this, take the Fifth Amendment... Sure. On Mustafi's comments and choose to focus instead on the potential for success. And maybe those are comments we could come back to. Okay, okay. At a different stage. In due course. In due due course, course. because I don't think it serves anybody for us to to go into those in any great depth today. It's not good for the squad morale, is it? For us to rake over those uh, comments. No, I, I don't think so. But those are the players that I think won't be around next season. I've, what about you? Anyone else? Well, the, the name that strikes me was missing from your list was that mm. of Mesut Ozil, mm. uh, who a lot of people seem to think you know might be approaching the end of his Arsenal career. But I do think that that's a job easier said than done, to be honest. Um, it is. However much you might want to move him on. You know, I don't think it's going to be easy. And actually, I, you know, the, since we last spoke, I think the second half of the the Raoul and Vinay interview came yeah. out, and their comments about Aaron Ramsey, uh, I, I thought, were kind of without being about Meza Özil, he was also kind of implicit within them. Do you know what I mean about the salary and the yeah. disruption? We're not the doing squad. that. For, we're not doing that again. Fuck, are you well, mad? Yeah. <laughs> That's what yeah, it was, I, wasn't it? Really? Yeah. Um, and it was clearly, you know, we liked Aaron. We want, we sort of were interested in keeping him, but it just wasn't right for the the balance of the squad to put that much money into one player. And mm. it was around the time they made that decision on Ramsey that Meza Özil was, you know, regularly being left out at Arsenal. And I and I actually think that, you know, the some of the heat that Emery took off that I think should be shared really across the management because it always seemed to me like it was a. Uh, a joint, a, a joint harmonised strategy. Yes, I think, I think. I think as well. You know, um, we probably also have to factor in the the, the players' side and the players' agent side of things as well. Mm. Um, in that, 
you know, if they were looking for a Bosman to open doors to big European clubs, they also played it very well. Um, you know, and I love Aaron Ramsey and I wish we were keeping him, but, you know, um, we, we can't simply overlook the fact that um, we didn't sell him last summer. He also didn't sign when there was a contract on the table. You know, there yeah. was a contract there that he didn't sign. And, and there it were wasn't before that point. Yeah, exactly. Well, there know. were offers and, you know, it wasn't as if it was just in the last few months that we offered him a contract. So, look, the whole thing is... You know, it's not the the finest hour of this football club in terms of how we've managed a situation with a very good, important and financially valuable player. Um, but look, that's by the by now. So, um, so, so yeah, Ozil is one who, if the club find a way to sell Mazur Ozil, I think they will do it. But... Uh, I, I think it will be difficult. I think I would guess, like you, he probably will still be here by hook or by crook. Another name that you didn't mention is Nacho Monreal, and I think there's a bit of confusion, really, over what exactly his future entails, because yeah. of the contract extension or not. Yeah, there's some talk that it had been extended, but there's been nothing official about it. Um, and his contract is up at the end of the season, so... Uh, which is what uh, on Wednesday, basically. Um, yeah. So maybe we'll get some we'll get some clarity there. Um, okay, here's a question. It comes from uh, Megan Cantle, and this is sort of something that feeds into my um, Mustafi fear. Uh, and she says, "What are your thoughts on the rumor that this could be Koscielny's final game for us? Because there were stories during the uh. over the weekend that Lekeep said." You know, this could be his final game. He wants a longer contract. He's only got a year. There's interest from Leverkusen, from Monaco, from um, possibly Nantes, um, another club that I can't quite remember, Milan, uh, a potential Milan destination for yeah. him. Um, like if if Gazidis takes Koscielny from us rather than Mustafi, I swear to God, I'm going to find that guy and I'm going to paint his head with, with Hammerite. Whatever that stuff you use to paint gates, you know, keep the rust off. Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> I'd love to see that happen. Um, and if it looks good, maybe I'll do the same. But I, with Koscielny, I'm really in two minds. I mean, we, I think we know he was probably going to leave last summer had he not picked up the injury mm. he did. Um I think that was certainly his intention. And I don't know if it's that he wants to go back to France or sunnier climbs or just wants a new challenge or a new lifestyle for his family. Could be could be anything, really. But I'm in two minds because on the one hand, I'm like, well, look, he's 33. He's sort of playing on one leg. He's not someone that we should be building around. So it would be good for the club in a way to forcibly move on uh, and invest in a defence that's got more sustainability and can play, you know, every week is more robust. Mm. The other side of the coin goes, well, he's our best defender. Mm. And I don't know if I have the faith that with our budgetary constraints and our technical director issues that we'll necessarily be able to bring in anybody nearly as good mm. this summer. So... It, I would rather see him here, to be honest. I would rather see him here. I mean, I couldn't hold it against him if he was like, look, this is the move that I want to make for my career to prolong it by a few more years, get a longer deal. 
Because, you know, I wouldn't equally say, let's give Koscielny a new contract. That doesn't feel like a, a hugely smart move either. Yeah. But I, I would, if we could somehow convince him, look, give it one more year while we sort of try and make this defensive transition away from you and hopefully not towards Mustafi. That's what I would like. How do you feel about it? I think I'd keep him for one more year. I don't think there's any problem with letting a player go for free when he's 34 years of age. The issue is when he's 27 years of age or 28 years of age and probably at his peak and therefore you're letting a very valuable asset go. Whereas with Koscielny, if he does one more year, plays less frequently, which I don't think he can play the same kind of schedule he played uh, this season. You know, I, I just don't... I think we pushed him too hard. I'm mm. slightly surprised that he hasn't broken down because he no. is he is still managing that, that tendonitis issue um, in his Achilles and he's come back from a very, very serious injury. I think we've seen him right on the edge, though, haven't we? For sure, for sure. Um, so... I would like to keep him for one more year. I think he would be good for someone like Holding, maybe Mavropanos if he stays around, but I, I suspect he might go on loan. If you are bringing in, uh, bringing in a young French central defender, which is the rumour, isn't it? This guy, what's his name? William Sabina? Is that Yes. Him? I mean, he's very young, though, isn't he? He's he a is. teenager still. No, that's not his name. What the hell is this kid's name? I'm sure Sabina is right. I mean... Uh... Is it? I don't know. I'm looking it up here. <laughs> it's not Sabina. What is it? I don't know. But Sabina Arsenal does not return the correct results on Google. Okay, hang on. I'm coming. I'm g- this is. Uh, this we are ITK here, guys. We certainly are. Hang on. Arsenal. Oh, fuck. Arsenal young French centre half. Here we go. Arsblog News, 20th of May. Arsblog News, even. Um, article by Ask Arsblog. <laughs> um, according to Spanish journalist Kike Marine and Charles Watts of Goal, Arsenal are interested in signing young French defender William Saliba. Saliba, not Sabina. OK, Saliba. So he's an 18-year-old at Saint-Étienne, played 19 times for them this season. Le French John Stones. And he's playing in Ligue 2, I believe, is he? With Saint Etienne, um, no. Saint Etienne are are they not in? I don't know. You, I think they're in League Two now. Uh, let's have a look. We Table. are really displaying our knowledge here. No, they're in League One. League, uh, League uh. fourth in League. Uh. Yeah, League. Uh. Oh, sorry, Saint Etienne. No, sorry, very... sorry, sorry to me as well. I, I said that, and you, you, you just. No, I'm only sorry to say it's okay. bloody hell, 66 <laughs> points in Liga. Yeah, and he played quite often towards the end Bath of the season. Marseille. I think I actually wrote that in the article that you got his name from. Oh, right, if I'd carried on reading. If you carried on reading. I mean, there's an argument to be made that I should also remember what I've written. Sure, 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 sure. But there's so much well, going on, James. How am I so supposed th- to remember all this stuff? Uh, uh, forgive me while well, I shock you all. I... I've never seen William Saliba play. I mean, given the fact that I didn't know his name two minutes ago, that won't surprise you. But, yeah, look, I, I'm all for it, bringing a young centre-half. Um, but I would rather keep Koscielny around. The problem will be, Koscielny will think to himself, he's got a better chance of getting a two-year deal or a two-year deal with an option for a third this summer 
than he does next. You know, yeah. He's that year younger. He's not had a relapse of his injury. You know, if that happens to him, it could really hurt his his credentials in the transfer market. And also, if he lifts a trophy as Arsenal captain on Wednesday night, he might just think, that's the end, isn't it? That's the perfect yeah. end to the a story. And it would be very on. hard for the club t- to deny him that. I, I agree. Think. I agree. But surely his responsibility as captain goes beyond lifting a trophy and ensuring that we don't have Mustafi next sure. year. <laughs> That's his real No, I mean, I think that is... It, it, if he does want to go, and I think after nine years, he'll be going into his 10th season, if we win a trophy, it is very difficult for the club to deny him a move. So it is maybe a consideration that we hadn't really thought about. Another little uh, story to get through this summer. But I, I would keep him if I could and let him play out the final year of his contract because I do think he's still a good player and I think he might be a valuable a valuable voice in a dressing room which, you know, when you look around, is losing Petr Cech, who is a hugely experienced and one of the big voices in the dressing room. Aaron Ramsey, yeah. a very experienced player, a big personality in the dressing room, if not in front of camera, you know, um, he is a... Uh, very well-respected guy. Danny Welbeck, big personality as well. He's also mm-hmm. going. If you lose uh, Koscielny alongside that, there is a bit of a gap, isn't there, in terms of That's leadership true. and experience within the dressing room. Who are the main guys? Who are the guys who are going to push this team? It's going to be Lacazette. It's going to be the, yeah. uh, Aubameyang, Xhaka. Socrates, I guess, to to a certain extent. But beyond that, you know, I mean, the experienced guys, Mesut Ozil is not going to be the guy, is he? He's not the, the guy who's going to G everybody up and, and get on it. So no. so I think there's another consideration there besides what happens on the pitch. Um, so there you go. Anyway, your question. This question is from the Discord channel and it's from Singapore Guna. Uh, and they ask... With Arsene Wenger looking for a job in football that isn't necessarily a managerial role, (laughs) do you think we should try and get him back at the club in a different capacity, maybe technical director? No. No, I agree with you. No. I just... I think he he casts or still casts too big a shadow. So if after one year of Unai Emery, let's say we win the, the Europa League, I'm just... I'm... I'm living for this, by the way. So, you know, everything is predicated on winning the Europa League on on Wednesday. And then you bring in Arsene Wenger as the technical director of the club. I think it just, no, there's too much that doesn't work there. You know, it doesn't doesn't send the right message to Emery. Um, I'm not sure it's a job that Wenger would want to do, even though I think he probably would be really quite well suited for it based on what we heard from Raul Sanyehi in the interview, you know, when he talked about the role of, of technical director and what they do and, and, and what their, what their function is, is, you know, as he said to, to, what was it? He, I can't remember exactly what he said, but about the technical direction of the club for many years is to do this. You know, he, he, really does have the attributes that you would need in terms of intelligence, knowledge of the game, um, a belief in how 
a team should play, you know, yeah. which is something that I think is is a little bit in flux at the moment because under Wenger, there was this ideal, wasn't there, in terms of how Arsenal should play football, that we had re repurposed ourselves as a kind of, like this was in some way the impact that Cruyff had at Barcelona in a way, in that he yeah. imprinted a style on the club that would last forever and ever and ever. And that whoever came in as a manager or as a coach would kind of have to carry on that tradition, if you like. You know, the same way that they have these expectations at Barcelona or at Ajax or, or wherever it is that, you know, this is how the game is played and this is what you should try to do. Whereas I don't think that's the case, you know, under Emery. He's he's plowing his own furrow in a way. So I, I think it would just be it would just be the wrong decision, even though I could see why um, maybe in different circumstances he could be a guy who, who could do a good job. Yeah, he he has all the right attributes, but he is the wrong man, basically. Mm. And I thought that was interesting. You know, Raoul did speak about... He had his little diagram, didn't he, that flashed up of yeah. the, the structure of the club and that, the, the, you know, it's, I mean, it's corporate speak, a, a lot of it, but he did speak about the technical director being responsible for preserving the sort of uh, tactical identity of the club, you know, and the, the philosophy, I think mm. he might, it might have been a word he used which is a big responsibility and, you know, it looks like it's going to be Edu who, who steps into that breach. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, very interesting. I, I, I basically don't think Arsene being particularly close to the new head coach is healthy at this point. Uh, but nice to see him pop up. In, uh, he was as erudite as you'd expect. Yes, he was. Spoke quite well uh, launching or at the launch of this uh, data website that he's involved in called Playmaker. Mm. I think it is. So um, yeah, I saw someone saying that he and Matthew Flamini are going to club together and and buy the club, take over in the next few years. So I'm yeah, to that. best of luck to both of them <laughs> for that. Um, it's going to take it's going to take something to to make that happen. Okay, here's a question, and it comes from Martin, who is at Pitbull Torreira, and he says the final is level. We're in the last minute of stoppage time. We're one on one against Kepa. Who do you want to take that chance? Aubameyang or Lacazette? We're one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, well, you know what you know all about my nightmare last night. Aubameyang <laughs> missing a clear one-on-one. -on -one. Um, if we're through and we're away from the defence and it's just the shooting part of it, I probably would go Lacazette. Uh, but if it's like there's still a lot of ground between, you know, the player and the goal, I'm going to say Aubameyang because I think, you know, no one's going to catch him. I think, I think I do think Lacazette is fractionally the better fish, finisher of the two. Uh, yeah, so I would, I would choose him. What about you? Um, I can see your point. And despite the fact he scored... 31 goals this season when I'm thinking about this all I can think about is Aubameyang missing which is weird it's so mm. weird but I think I think I go with Aubameyang just the reason to go with Aubameyang is I think they scored different types of goals and that feel you know running clear of the defence one on one was the question and mm. you know you think of Aubameyang don't you in that situation yes that's where I, I think I would go with him 
I think I'd go with him. And he did score one recently, didn't he, where he went around the goalkeeper having gone clean through? Yeah, yeah. Was it? Uh, could have been Valencia. I can't remember. But, yeah, I think I'd go for him. It just feels to me like if there's a if there's a story to come out of the final uh, from one of our strikers, I just have a feeling it's going to be Aubameyang who's going to score the goal. So that's just well, good so feeling. spectacular in the semi-final. So if you can carry on that form into the final, then mm. it'll be absolutely brilliant. Here's a, here's a question. Um, I'll let you go now in a second from... Uh, <laughs> uh, this is from the Discord as well. It comes from Dumbledore's Gunt. Which is what a name! What a name indeed, um, and it, it it really does evoke some startling imagery. But he says, with the transfer policy looking to be investments in up and coming young players, is there not a risk that you end up with a team of nearly men in the next five years? Talking the likes of Danielson, Vela, Ali Adier, etc., who are all highly rated young players who turned out to be flumps. <laughs> yeah, they were kind of. Dumbledore's guns of players, some of them, weren't they? But I, I think um, that's a good point. But I think it's infinitely preferable to have a team of young players with potential than older players who aren't quite what they used to be. And there are two reasons for that. One of them is financial. Uh, essentially, you're, you've got decent investments there who are going to return some value probably at some point, even if they don't pan out as you plan. Mm. At least it's not going to be like, well, they're 30 and now no one wants to pay any money for them. And the other thing is that I think just as a supporter, you know, what we all want is the sense of a bright future and, you know, that things are going to improve down the line. And I think you can kind of get invested and excited about young players with potential in the way that you can't someone who's sort of been around the block uh and so i think it's sort of a more exciting interesting journey you know like during that sort of you know uh, post emirates stadium move era where we had a lot of young players on that list mentioned then we didn't mind kind of projecting forward and imagining what they might be quite so much because it felt like an exciting destination. It felt like it was going to be a bit of a, mm. a journey we could all go on together. So I think that that's actually would be quite positive. And I'm excited about that as a plan. I think we're getting some, some fresh blood in this squad. What, what do you think? What do I think? Yeah. I mean, I think it is probably our best way of rebuilding. Um, and of course you're never going to have a hundred percent hit rate when it comes to young players or even experienced players, you know, in the transfer market, you're not going to have a 100% hit rate. There are going to be some who, who who, just don't make the grade, some who look good and start well and then maybe fall away and then maybe someone you don't expect comes and, and makes themselves uh, a regular. But in terms of our budget, in terms of what we can do uh, in relation to what other clubs are going to do and how we need to do it, I think our our best strategy is to identify young and up and coming talent and go that direction. And mm. you know Yeah, look, what would you rather uh, a 7 or 8 million pound young Frenchman who comes in and doesn't make the grade after two or three years or you know spending 35 million pounds on somebody who is experienced enough and established enough but still doesn't make the grade you know I'd rather take the punts on the uh, on the young players well all signings are risks aren't they but yeah of course you can you can mitigate that risk and I think signing young players is a smart way for a club with our restrictions to to do that 
Um, and and the rumours that we're seeing, you know, Martinelli, the Brazilian, is it Claude Maurice, the, the attacker from Lorient? Mm. We are reading a lot. We talked about the French centre-half, a lot about sort of very young players, guys under the age of 21 potentially coming in. And I think you need balance as well. I think, you know, when you look back on sort of post-2006 teams, I think there was a bit of a lack of experience to go alongside the youth. And that's where someone like Koscielny would be really valuable. You know, Mm. you do need some figureheads in the dressing room. You do need some leaders there. Uh, But we do need to regenerate. We do need to rejuvenate. And I think... Signing young players is a good way to do that. Yeah. Actually, I'm just going to continue on because I had another question on this. There was another one from the Discord. Um, Bear with me here. Can you search in the Discord? I don't know. Let's see. I don't think you can. I'm not finding (laughs) it anyway. Uh, But it was about uh, Alexis Claude Maurice. Mm-hmm. And I can't find that question. But also from Emmanuel Lane at Tribo King, who says, there's a lot of debate about how unfair it would be for academy players if we signed youngsters from abroad, i.e. Claude Maurice, competing for a spot in the team with the likes of Saka and Amici. What are your, what are your views? Is it fair or unfair competition? Uh, I think it's fair enough, personally. I kind of think if you do it, you know, if the players are good enough, they will make the breakthrough. And I suspect, you know, you can look at Saka and Amici and Claude Maurice and think, do you know what? Only one of those players might go on to be the top player that we kind of envisage them as. And I think having that competition, if anything, might, you know, force, drive them on and, Mm. and, you know, push them along the way. I I think it's tempting to think, it's not fair, you know, we've got these great young players, but... As we've just talked about, how often do they actually deliver on the potential we imagine them to have very rarely? So I think you do have to hedge your bets a little bit with young players mm. and, uh, you know, just think back to the the five British internationals that we signed to long-term contracts as part of the British core and how, yeah. you know, only really Aaron Ramsey became the player that we sort of thought he was going to be. Um, so, yeah, I don't have a particular issue with it. What about you? I think it all depends on how they view the readiness of these young mm. players. Um, I think there's some, maybe something interesting happening in terms of, of, of the kind of players that we're targeting. You know, this young Brazilian kid is coming in, Martinelli. I'm not sure whether he's like a more of a forward or a centre forward than a wide player, but my my sense was that he was a kind of a wide player. We've got Reese yeah. Nelson coming back. This Alexis Claude Maurice... Uh, kid looks like uh, the sort of player we're we're missing, and that's based only on the YouTube high, uh, video or the video of him scoring all the goals. So I haven't seen any more, but just in terms of what he looks like as a player, he looks very quick. Looks like he can finish. Um, likes to cut in from from the wings or make runs in behind. So we're looking to add pace and um, direct running into the team in wide areas. Mm-hmm. Right. So maybe that's an indication of where this team is is going to go. So if you go down that road, maybe you also need to have a bit more depth in those positions. So there could be potential for the likes of Saka and Amici to play in cup games next season if they're not necessarily playing in in uh, the Premier League and hopefully the Champions League. 
Yeah, and I think we're also getting a bit smarter in terms of using the loan market. You know, Nelson and Smith Rowe out at the moment, they could come back, uh, they could stay out. Uh, and I think it enables you to keep developing players, but not necessarily on your time. Uh, and I think that's a really smart way to go because, you know, you could send a player out on loan for two years and then move out an experienced player and bring in a younger player. You can sort of create a, a mm. kind of revolving door of, of players coming in and out. And I think the other thing about those young players, by the way, uh, Claude Maurice and uh, Martinelli, is they're versatile. You know, they can yeah. play probably in a number of different roles. And I think that's something Emery really prizes. And I suppose when people look at someone like Bielik or or even Callum Chambers, that's something to mention for them too. They can flourish in more than one position. And if you're a manager who likes to change the shape of his team, not just game to game, but sometimes within a game, that kind of versatility, that multifunctionality could be really valuable to him. Yes, very true. Very true. Um, here's a, a question on a different tack from uh, Flanny Balls at Flanny Balls. And they ask, Unai Emery is well known for his detailed tactical preparation for games. With this in mind, I'd like to hear your thoughts on what weapons he should give to the players to use on Eden Hazard. For me, it would be a chainsaw. Chainsaw is a bit unwieldy, though. That's the problem. You know, if you're going to take to the field with a chainsaw, what if it stops? Yeah. you got to do the... to try to get it going again. That's I, true. I think there's a risk, you know, on the pitch. It you could can't be just a bit leave bumpy. it running. No. Yeah. Exactly. I think you need something a bit more subtle, like a blunderbuss. No, that's also a bit unwieldy. Um, there have been shouts in the comments, I think, uh, come on the arses, shouting for a rusty bear trap. Um, yeah, but you know, just one of our players would stand in that. That's what would happen. Uh, yeah, Maitland-Niles is going to stand in that, isn't he? Or, you know, it's a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah. What about... Um, Same with, like, sort of mines. You know, you could put mines down Hazard's wing, but then again... Proximity mines are just going to go off as soon as one of our it is. It is a bit of a you know kill everything to kill Absolutely. one. Granite thing. Shack, if you put mines on the pitch, Granite Shaka stepping on a mine. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's classic Shaka. Uh, what about some kind of uh, throwing knives, some kind of daggers or, or that kind throwing of stuff? stars, the ninja stars? Mm. Yeah, I'd like that. Mm. I mean, again, you'd have to be careful because if you miss, they're ending up in the crowd, and it feels like there could be repercussions there. Yeah, nobody going to a game of football deserves a, a ninja star in the forehead um, like Butters. Flanny Balls has also proposed uh, Armand Troyer's knuckle dusters. Yep, that would work. Socrates with a set of knuckle dusters. I mean, he's not that subtle, though, and with VAR... VAR's going to pick that up, isn't it, all day long? VAR is certainly going to pick that up. VAR's not our friend in this scenario. No. If VAR doesn't spot the chainsaw, I think serious questions need to be asked of the VAR. That would be a huge issue for... <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> There's yeah, a guy with a chainsaw and the referee's like, OK, and he does like, the TV screen shroud's motion. Yeah, no, He's going to go and have a look at it. It's fine. It's fine. Hazard is there with like both legs lopped off. Yeah. They're not showing him the angle where you actually see him chop him in half, though. <laughs> yeah. Why aren't they showing him that angle? Yeah, the conspiracy theories would abound. Um, I think, you know, I think we're just going to have to do it the old-fashioned way by being good at football, which is Don't a bit, be a bit so. worrying. That's the, that's the silliest suggestion I've heard so far. <laughs> it is a bit. It is a bit. I don't have any more questions, by the way. Oh, right. Okay. I'm all out. Have you got any more? Um, I don't have any more. Team for the final. Done We've that. Done that one. 
Would you keep Ozil? Done, done that would one. Would you keep Ozil? We've done that every week. If everyone's fit, uh, what's our best 11? Oh, I've got a question for you. Go on. Are we going to win? Yes. Really? Yeah. That's good. Oh, I was worried for a bit. Yeah. Do you feel, is, is that how you, you feel like it's going to be a good day? I feel like going to the toilet when sure. I think about it, but... I've got a good feeling about those two forwards, I have to say. That's where I am, basically. I think there's there's enough going on with those two for me to feel quite confident that they can offset the rest. Because Chelsea are missing a couple of defenders as well, aren't they? Is Rudiger, Rudiger is out. Rudiger will be out, yeah. Um, David Luiz is in, you know. Sure. I mean, he, sure. he can be fantastic. He can also be be terrible. Are we going to win? I don't fucking know. I wish I knew. <laughs> I wish I knew. This, you know, this is kind of potentially one of the best weeks of football ever. Yes. But also potentially one of the very worst. I mean, I'm glad our game is first, I think. Mm. Because imagine if we were going into this with the shadow of the bad thing over us. The shadow it, of the bad thing. It would create an unbelievable pressure to deliver something. I mean, uh, uh, to be honest, our football club might have folded. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I don't mm. know. <laughs> I don't know if we'd be, have the energy or the strength to even do this podcast. Um, we're going to have so, to. We're going to have to. But listen... There are two games this week, and if we get the right result in both, it will be glorious. Exactly. Like, let's try not to dwell on the the bad thing, the very, very bad thing. That could happen, that might not happen, it might not happen at all. It could be the two good things that happen. So let's just... Well, as long as the two good things are in play, then it's fine. If we don't win that final mm. on Wednesday... Are you going to watch the Champions League final? I'm at a wedding. I'm at a wedding. You're at a wedding. I'm at a wedding. So I probably won't be watching it anyway. I I don't think I could bear to watch it. If I did, I would be sort of offering myself to the gods anything. If we lose on Wednesday... (laughs) But we won't. We won't. But if we do... Then Saturday becomes one of the biggest games in recent memory for me. Like it has, like there, mm. there can only be one result. There yeah. can only be. Well, there are two results that I want this week, and I'm I'm not being greedy when I say that I want both of them. And that I, no... I need both of them. I need both of them. Yeah. I need both of them. I think everybody listening to this podcast needs both of them. So let's... But a game at a time. Get one game get at a time. Get Wednesday sorted. Get Wednesday out of the way. Exactly. We do what we got to do. And then we are all mug smashers for a few days. And that's it. And we get a few days of celebration irrespective. We win Wednesday night. You've got the whole of Thursday, whole of Friday, most of Saturday before you might have to leave the country. <laughs> So, <laughs> forever. forever, forever, yeah. You might have and to go ever. and live in a hole in the ground and never come out. Yeah, but those three days—Thursday and Friday—oh, we're going to live fucking, it up. It could be fucking brilliant. It's going to be yeah, the best. We're going to have a hell of a time. North London will be red. 
for a bit, and then who knows, but we can't even think about that. No, we can't, because, uh, no, let's not. It's not. It's just disgusting. It is disgusting, so let's not think about it. Let's think about winning on Wednesday. Let's think about celebrating. Let's think about the lads doing it for Mkhitaryan back home. Let's think about Aubameyang and Lacazette. Let's think about Danny Welbeck scoring a winner or Petr Cech uh, saving a penalty. Let's think about who knows what might happen. Carl Jenkinson exploding in a cloud of his own jizz. Let's think about all the positive things that we can Eden think about. Hazard being sliced in half by a chainsaw. And VAR not seeing it. It could be all glorious so let's think about those positive things we're going to be here on Thursday morning we're going to do an Arscast Extra we hope we hope that it is going to be the mood could be like for that it could be fantastic it could be the goodliest of mornings James the goodliest morning but um, yeah, it could be. And let's hope that it will be. Whatever happens, though, we'll be here to share the, uh, the joy or the pain with you. Thank you as ever for being here. Let's keep everything crossed for Baku. Hopefully the lads can do it and uh, we'll catch you on Thursday. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.